Turn to Matthew chapter 25, uh, 35 and 36, and then we'll look at verse 40. I just did want to remind you again, tonight is soak. Uh, and so uh, if you've never been to a soak service, the third Sunday night of every month we have soak, which is just a time of, of intense prayer and worship uh, and ministry. And tonight we'll be sharing communion. So if, you, if you've never gone to a soak before, tonight would be a great night to start uh, and if, or, or to, to try one. And if you do go, make sure and don't miss tonight. Uh, it's going to be a, a really great time of, of prayer. Also, um, you heard just now about the community picnic. We'll talk about that some this morning. Uh, but if you weren't here last week, I don't often say this, but if you weren't here last week, I really want to encourage you to go onto iTunes and grab the message and listen to it from last week as we talked about uh, compelling people to the table. Uh, so this morning we're going to continue our series about the table. Uh, if you want to understand a culture, all you have to do is look at a culture's uh, heroes. Now, I'm going to kind of go old school this morning, so you know some of you, you won't even remember. I, I was down at the football field the other day, and I realized how old I was when I was talking to one of the coaches, and I graduated high school before he was born. And I thought, okay, all right, something, not sure how that just happened. But I just aged in one minute. Uh, Stacy and I went out about a month ago for our 21st wedding anniversary, and I'd called ahead and told them, you know, it's our anniversary and this is a big deal. And um, so the hostess was going to take us to our seat. And she said, oh, happy anniversary. They already knew about it. And she said, um, boy, it's good to have you guys here. And what year are you celebrating? And my wife said, 21, probably about as old as you are. And I thought, that girl's not 21. She's much older than she said, oh, I am 21. And I thought, oh, man, I'm old. I'm old. I'm so old. Nobody can be that young, but they can be. So... I'm going to use some historical references that I now realize uh, might not uh, be relevant to everybody. But if you want to understand a culture, you look at a culture's um, heroes. So you think, going back a little bit, uh, Frank Sinatra, who sang a song that he did it my way, his way, until Elvis came along and sang the same thing, and then he did it his way. And you have Superman, and John Wayne, and... James Bond, and Tiger Woods, and Clint Eastwood, and Tom Cruise, and Muhammad Ali, and maybe more recently, Batman. And if you look deeper in them and in ourselves, one of the things we realize is that we admire them so much because they fly solo. I mean, they're the man, they're the deal, they're the junk, they're the big daddy, they're the one, right? They're the stuff. And when all else failed, they came through at just the last minute, and they did it all by themselves. We admire their power, we admire their courage, we admire their independence, their ability to move through the greatest obstacles completely alone. We admire that. The problem is that only works in the movies or at a distance, at an extreme distance. People who go it alone or people who are some type of um, uh, childhood prodigy of talent that we admire so much from a distance, oftentimes if you look at their life up close, you will see there's a trail of destruction in the place that matters most, and that's in their relationships. 
If you look at superstars and you look at the ones who did it all by themselves and self-made people, you'll oftentimes see in their wake a clutter of divorces and estranged adult children and depression and loneliness. And you can see that oftentimes in Hollywood stars or sports superstars. Recently, I was uh, talking to a young pastor who had just gotten married. He'd been married for a few months, or newlyweds. And he had always had a, a good uh, record of being effective in ministry. I mean, whatever he kind of set his mind to do, he was able to do. Everything seemed to work for him. And then he's married now, and he was just sharing with me in a moment, a vulnerable moment, man, I'm just having trouble balancing, you know, ministry and my wife and what's her role and where does she fit in. And he was just sharing some deeper frustrations with me about that. And, and my answer to him was, you feel that way because you haven't yet learned how to be successful in the part of your life that matters the most. But you will. Don't be discouraged. You will learn it. Don't give up. Don't quit. You will make that shift. It will happen for you. Keep at it. And I think the, I think the Pentecostal church sometimes misunderstands this need that we have and how to meet it. We sometimes believe that an encounter with God fixes everything. An encounter with God does not fix everything. Number one, it doesn't fix our need for relationships. Why? Because our need for connection doesn't come from our fallenness it is magnified by our fallenness, but the, our fallenness is not the cause of it. We still need relationships, and we still need to be connected, and we'll never be equipped enough, we'll never be free enough, we'll never be powerful enough to do the Christian life by ourselves. which sounds suspiciously like some of our heroes in American culture. They did it all by themselves. So we just translate that to the uh, uh, church, and we say, maybe I can get a Paul the Apostle cape or pajama outfit, or superhero outfit, and I can just be spiritual enough that I don't need anybody else. Now, where would we find that in Scripture? We're not made to go it alone. In the beginning, when Jesus created, when God created Adam, he said, he looked at him, now listen, this is a critical point, he looked at him in his perfect state, and he said, it's not good for you to be by yourself. Now, here, here's a, this is a critical life-changing, mind-shifting thought. In our perfect, sinless state, we needed connection with other humans. Not because of sin, before sin. If Adam and Eve would have never sinned, and you and I would have never sinned, and anyone would have never sinned, the same need would have existed because God created us that way. And although in our perfect state we were sinless, we were not complete. We were not comprehensive. We're not built to live alone because we're not God. Only God can have everything that he needs by himself. But even God said in Genesis, let us make man in our own image. Did you catch that? Let who make man in our own image? Us. So God says, I'm going to make humanity in my image. What is my image? My image is an us. It's not a me, it's an us. 
What's us? Us is plurality. Us is relationship. Inside the Trinity, somehow there's one God, but there's a few of them. And, and God said when he decided to make man, he made them in his image, which is plural. It's almost like the pastor who says, and many pastors have said this, much less popular than it once was, thank goodness. But they said, my kids will be fine, I minister to the church, and God will take care of my children. Have you heard this? So we make kind of these deals with God that he never enters into. And it doesn't matter how explosive, how powerful a ministry a person has, a pastor of a mega church, it doesn't change this one reality. No matter how many people find God, no how many people get set free, no how many people are healed or changed, it will not replace that child's need for a father. Is that right or not? So that, and oftentimes we saw those that rose to great places of influence in the kingdom who somehow or another thought that. And we had a couple of generations of pastor's kids who became drug addicts and suicidal and one broken relationship after another because there was a broken bond in the family that needed to be there and no amount of effectiveness in that person's ministry changed that. We need relationships because we were made by God that way and there's no getting spiritual enough to outgrow that. Specifically, we need relationships with our family and with Jesus' family. And that's what we're going to talk about. So, to minister to our culture, we need to gain a theological understanding of relationships, what they mean, what they are, what their role in the kingdom is. So, we've used this idea then for, for this year of the table. We've used this thought of what the table is, and the table is a space where relationships are built. We're thinking about the table in terms of invitation. So the first week we said, Jesus invites us to sit here in this first chair with him by ourselves. We need a relationship with God one-on-one. Last week we said, then Jesus invites people to himself through us. Jesus gives an invitation to the world through us to come to him. And now what we're saying is this third chair has been added and relationships now are being built at this table. There are connections that are happening with the family and with Jesus' family. And that's what this table represents for us this morning, that those connections that are needed, those relationships that need to be built. So what is connecting at the table? The table represents the spaces we have in our life for relationships to happen. Now, our, our culture is now structured in a way that disrupts, breaks down, hurts relationships, and relationships are a lot more work, I don't know if you've noticed, than they used to be because we used to live in a culture that fostered relationship. Now we live in a culture that damages relationship and breaks relationship and frustrates relationship and hinders relationship. And so we're, we're like a trout swimming upstream to try to invest and try to grow in relationships. So you can tell it takes a lot of effort, maybe more than ever. Relationships don't happen on accident. H how many of you this morning, you have significant relationships in your life that are growing on accident? Nobody? 
No, because you have to intentionally do that because you're swimming upstream now. So connecting at the table is identifying that space where your relationships will grow with your family and with Jesus' family. Let's first talk about your family. Let's talk about your, your personal family. You, husband, wife, mom, dad, kids, grandkids, whatever it is. I think we need a new definition of success, and I think we need one that includes intangibles like relationships. So this morning, do you have a close relationship with your spouse, your kids? Do you know your kids and your spouses, your grandkids? Do you know their dreams and their fears and their longings and their successes and their failures? If, uh, do you know that about the people that are closest to you in your immediate family? If success this morning was only measured by relationships, how would you be doing? If you had to grade yourself A, B, C, D, F. School just started, so we got that. A, B, C, D, F. If you had to grade yourself this morning on, on your relationships in your life, if you had to grade the effectiveness of your life only on the basis of relationships, with your parents, with your kids, with your... How, what would you grade yourself this morning? By the way, that's not a bad way to grade your life. I mean, if you forgot about cars and careers and cottages, retirement, how much you have in the bank, how many uh, privileges you've had, how many places you've been able to travel, how many things you've been able to see. If you wipe all that away and score yourself on relations, that's not a bad deal because Jesus is the one that said, look, I'll, I'll make this very simple for you. I'll boil it all the way down. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul. Love your neighbors yourself. And that's greater than anything else. By the way, Jesus grades us on relationships. So in your family, where's the table at? I don't mean if we walked in your house, which room would it be in? I mean, where's the space? This represents more of a space than a place. Where's the space? By the way, the dinner table's not a bad one. <laughs> and, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Where's the space in your home where relationships are built? Where's the space in your relationship where you, where you sit together, you build relationships in a non-task-oriented way where the only agenda is being together? Let me give you a, an update on how that's going in American life. In the last 30 years, there has been a 33% decline in families eating together. 33% decline in families eating together. And by the way, half of the ones that are eating together are eating together while they're watching TV. So it's not really like this. It's like this. Everybody's not really relating to each other. Dr. Dobson from Focus on the Family reported a study that learned teenagers who eat dinner with their parents five times a week or more were the least likely youth in America to be on drugs, to be depressed, to be in trouble with police. They were more likely to be doing well in school, to be surrounded by supportive friends. And this was also true. Now, I know some of the ladies in the room are thinking, but I can't cook that much. <laughs> like, wait. This was true for families no matter where they ate. If it was in a restaurant, if it was in the backyard, if it, was, it doesn't matter what they ate, it doesn't matter where they ate. The only common variables that they ate together. They shared a space where relationships were being built. I guarantee you a family that does not share some kind of table, some kind of relational space, 
will have strained relationships. We were in uh, live streams this past Sunday night, and a, a, a newer family to our church, a couple was there, and they said, man, the first Sunday we came, you were talking about the table, and he said, I knew this was the right place for us because you have no idea how heavy it's been on my heart recently for our family because they have little kids that to start to eat together at the table. For those of you who grew up eating at the table like clockwork, you cannot possibly fathom how foreign that is to younger generations with kids now who eat in the car and on the way and in the side and breakfast in their pocket on the way out to school in the morning. You can't fathom the change that's happened. And it's not all for the, it's not all for the good for sure. So what, what can we do? Remember the table's a space where relationships grow, so use those spaces to invest in relationships, not a space where you're not doing tasks. Invest in relationships with your family, and I promise you, you'll never regret it. I've had the opportunity to attend several retirement ceremonies, and, and I've had the opportunity to sit and listen to a number of people reflect on their life. And I've never heard one person in their entire life say, looking back, I wish I would have spent less time with my family and more time on my job or on my hobby or on something else. I've never heard anybody say that. You know why? Hindsight is twenty twenty. It's crystal clear. And so we're doing everything we can to help you with that. Next Sunday morning, those of you who have kids, I believe first through fifth grade, I think that's the right window I'm getting. It's in the bulletin. We have something called family experience. We've done one in the spring. This will be our second time to do it. And so I want to encourage you next Sunday, if you have smaller kids, join uh, Pastor Joel and Lindsay next Sunday, either 9 or 1030, in Big City Studios. We're going to have a family worship service a family kids church service for kids and parents to be together. And so it's going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome time. And I want to encourage you, if that, if that fits your family dynamic, I want to encourage you to be there. Now, let's talk a few minutes about Jesus' family. That's, that's the connection that we need in our family. Now, what about G This is Jesus' family right here in this room. This is Jesus' family. This isn't all of it, but this is part of it. Jesus was a master at building relationships. Author Robert Karras says in the book of Luke, Jesus is either coming from a meal, at a meal, or on his way to a meal in the whole book of Luke. So Jesus spent a lot of time with people building relationships. He also intended for his people to welcome people and to minister to them and, and connect them to Jesus' family. So look at Matthew 25, 35, and 36. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me and I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now the next few verses that I didn't list is when the disciples are saying, but Jesus, when did we see you? When were you a stranger? When were you hungry? When were you this? When were you that? And then verse 40 answers the question. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for, the, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now in this verse, we see that Jesus puts the focus on the least of these. What does that mean? The most disadvantaged, the newest, the youngest, the least familiar, the children, the newcomer, the new believer, the hungry, the poor, the thirsty, the sick, the imprisoned. So Jesus says to us, the people I want you to stay focused on are the ones who need help. 
He, he, he drove the point home by saying this. Not only is it important to me, I want you to understand, I'm going to take personal whatever you do to them, so much so that whatever you do to them, you do to me. You touch them, you touch me. They feel it, I feel it. Wow. Jesus has rarely ever so aligned himself with any other type person on earth that he would personalize that kind of touch. Now, I think the big temptation of people who are deeply connected in Christ's family is taking those relationships for granted. If you've ever had the loss of a relationship in your life, either because someone you love passed away or maybe even had to move to the other side of the world or some other separation, it's usually true that you, don't, that you took for granted something, that you don't realize the impact of that person on your life until they're gone. And then you say, wow, I didn't, man, I didn't know that. And I, and I think in the same way, for the people who are deeply connected in Jesus' family, uh, they underestimate the impact of that connection, and they underestimate other people's need for it, because they have it. So as a church, we have to focus on those who need connecting to Jesus' family and those who need help. Jesus says that's the focus. So think about our church for a minute as a big house or a big family. Where is the table in Jesus' family? If we go to your house, I don't have to ask where the table is. I find the dining room, right? And I look in there, and I see this big piece of furniture with the chairs around it and a china can, and I know what that is for. That's the table. That's where people sit and eat and talk and enjoy each other, but that's not so clear in the church building. Where's the dining room? Where's the place where relationships grow? Well, you heard a little bit about it this morning. We, we invited those of you who are new to First Step. So maybe you say, look, this is my first Sunday or my second Sunday, my third Sunday. I, I'm not getting married. We're just dating. Great. Come to First Step. That's where, and if you'll notice, almost everything we do, we share a meal at it. You know why? A meal is an invitation to say, we want to know you. We want to have a relationship with you. This isn't, we're not trying to check a box. We're not trying to get you to sign up for a denomination or a company. This, the kingdom of God is a relationship. Life streams. We mentioned we had it last, the second Sunday night of every month. Life groups. Life groups. Next Sunday morning, we're going to have our fall life group guide. It'll be ready for you. We'll uh, have it online. You'll be able to go in and look. September 7th, our life groups launch. We, so the full menu of life groups that are available are here. And so that's our part in this. How can we help you build those relationships? Where is the table at Kingwood Church? The table is at life groups. It's not in here. You don't get to know everybody in here. You don't get to know anybody in here. Where's the table? It's in life groups. So this, this fall, we're going to launch 40, just about 40 life groups. Five of them are brand new. Never existed before. So the door's wide open. And then you've seen on the screen, we've talked about this for a few weeks now, the community picnic on September 7th. Giant, giant deal. You know what a community picnic is? It's a big table. It's a big, giant, fat, juicy table. <laughs> Are you still here? Big table. So we're going to set a big table for our community on September 7th, and, and that's what I'm saying. Who is Jesus inviting through you? 
That's an incredible opportunity for you to say, this is this neighbor, this is this friend, this is this coworker, this is this uh, uh, relative, this is somebody I've been looking for a reason to help take another step toward Jesus, take a step toward a church family. Invite them. Bring them that day. We're going we're gonna to give people an invitation to receive Christ. We're going to give people an invitation to be, if want to be water baptized or do a 30 serve or get in a life group. All of that's going to shotgun blast that very day. So when we connect people to Jesus' family and we give space for those relationships to grow, everything in the kingdom is possible for a person. Uh, last uh, spring, you heard me mention the family experience that uh, Kids Church did, Pastor Joel and Lindsay did. Something really awesome happened that really illustrates this in the family experience last spring in March. Pastor Joel had a time in the kids' service where he allowed, uh, invited parents to come and pray with their kids. So it was a salvation invitation. If you'd like to receive Christ, your parents are here, and we want, we want your parents to pray with you right here, right now, to receive Jesus. And several kids came and received Christ. When that call was offered, when that invitation was given, there was a young couple in the back who lifted their hand and said, uh, we're parents, but we'd like to pray that. We'd like to pray that. We've never, we don't, we don't have a relationship with Jesus that we know of. Now, Pastor Joel went over and talked to him and spent some time with him. And, and the most incredible thing happened as we learned their story. We found out they had been at Kingwood Church for about six months. But they had just come to a point in their life where they were ready to pray and invite Jesus into their life. Now, I'm so grateful for a church that loved them and received them and connected them and welcomed them until they could have the encounter with Jesus that they needed. Aren't you? Incredible. We must be committed as a church to focus on those who need the connection to Jesus' family because the longer a person stays connected to Jesus' family, the more they grow, the more they heal, the more they mend, the more they strengthen, the more encounters with God they have, and the more encounters with God they live out. But it's not all up to the church, and it's not all up to the people who've been here the longest or the most influential. If you're at Kingwood Church and you're disconnected or you're mailing it in or you're passing through or you're coming once every uh, once a month or or maybe every month but you, every week but you're just not connected the, part of this is up to you you have to take a step you have to try something you have to do your part invite somebody out to lunch take a risk try a life group visit a few of them the great thing about them is we got them on a semester basis so if you go and you hate it you don't have to go back you just try another one Right? Look, look, you're not going to fit with everybody. Have you ever looked at two people and said they ought not to be married? Right? You ought not to be in a life group with everybody. That doesn't mean you're not saved or they're not or you're bad or they're good. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means there's some people you ought not to be that close to. But there's somebody in Jesus' family that you ought to be close to. Right? And all I'm saying is, is 
you have a role to play in that. Go to First Step. Come to live streams. Go on a mission. You want to get to know people? Spend 180 hours day and night building a church in another country. You'll get to know some people. I mean, you'll really get to know some people. Try 30 serve. Maybe you connect better in a task, serve at an event. See, God didn't make us to go it alone, and we're always better off when we connect. Last uh, Wednesday, we were at, uh, I lead a discipleship group that was just restarting for the fall. And I want to ask the worship team to come now. And um, in our setup time, I went around the group and I said, Hey, uh, tell me what you want God to do in your life this fall. What do you want God to do in your life this fall? Now, now watch. Different people had different answers. I, I really want to trust God more. I need help. I want to live free of some things. I want to go deeper. I want to depend on God. I, I need help. There's some things this fall that I, I'm almost living a day at a time right now on, and I need God's help to get through that. And I, I want God to help me with that. Some of the people in that little circle cried. You believe that? Just talking about what do you want Jesus to do in your life. Some of those cried. Some reflected. Everybody shared words of impact. We turned our hearts toward God in prayer. And I said, okay, I want you to pray with me now. I just want you to talk to Jesus about what you want him to do. What, what is your sense in your heart about what you want Jesus to do in your life? Right, let's just turn it to prayer. Let's talk to him now. And as we prayed, it was like somebody opened the doors and a spring breeze flew through that room. Jesus was there. Jesus' presence filled that space. And you could, just in those few minutes we prayed, you could feel God moving in that room. Now here... Here's what I want you to see this morning. Our spiritual lives were impacted. You can't get that alone. You have to. When you connect to Jesus' family, your spiritual life will take on a momentum that you'll never have alone. And just because you go to church somewhere doesn't mean that you're connected. Just because you signed a membership card doesn't mean you're connected. Connection's not a contract. It's not even so much a commitment. It's a relationship. And, and when you connect and you share your spiritual life with someone else, I'm telling you, your life will, will take on a spiritual strength and intensity and focus. And Man, I left that room saying, man, <laughs> look, I've, I've pastored for a while. I've walked with Jesus pretty tight since I was 15. I mean, I, I'm, I feel like I'm not going to walk away from God. I mean, I, I, I could, but I feel like I'm following Him. But I'm telling you, even after those years, sitting in that circle of people and hearing their story and praying together and crying, I left that room saying, I want Jesus more than I've ever wanted him. Man, it excited me. It encouraged me. It encouraged me. 
I thought I'm hungrier than I was when I got here. Why? Connection. That connection is life-giving. And it'll hold you through your downs. And it'll help you to know what to do with your ups. (laughs) And it'll focus you and strengthen you. So I just want you to stand with me this morning and I, let's, turn, let's do what we did this past week with the group. Let's turn to Jesus now. A connection's no good unless Jesus is the center. A connection doesn't do anything without Jesus being the center. So I'm going to ask our prayer team to come this morning and I want every eye closed and If you would just find a place you could get still for a minute. I want to invite you to Jesus. I want to invite you to prayer. I want to invite you to to connect with Him this morning before we leave this place. Every eye closed. Your family needs to connect with Jesus through you. This church needs to connect with Jesus through you. And that's the deal. And so some of you came this morning, hearts heavy, needs bubbling up over you, maybe feeling overwhelmed, and you need Jesus to do something in your family. And I'm going to invite you in a minute. I want you to respond in prayer, and I want you to come and share that need. And we're going to pray this morning. And I'm telling you, when you share that and you connect even here, Jesus is going to meet you here. Some of you this morning, I just ask you this. What do you want God to do in your life this fall? What do you want Him to do? If there's something specific on your heart, I want you to come and share it with the prayer team and say, this is what I feel. Would you just pray with me? Would you just pray with me today? Maybe there's someone this morning on your heart that you say, I, I know Jesus is reaching out to them through me, and I want to stand in and intercede this morning for that person and for myself, that I would do what God wants me to do. Maybe there's just a step you need to take of faith, growth, and that's clear to you this morning. I want you to come and seal it. If you don't say it, if you don't speak it, if you don't tell somebody you're likely to let it die off inside yourself, but when you tell someone else it lives it lives so this morning as our worship team's here and we're all here I'm going to pray and then I just want you to come the worship team's going to sing and we'll dismiss, that's it Lord today we surrender to you God I thank you for the table, I thank you for your invitation to us to love you to be touched by you I pray for the families in this room that are struggling, the marriages the moms and dads, the grandmas and grandpas, the children, the teenagers God I pray you'd reach them this morning, touch them give them hope, give them encouragement Lord shine your light in their life for those who are stirred today, shine in them Lord in Jesus name as the worship team begins to sing I want you to come now and I want you to find a prayer team.